and transparent robots. That's my mission <laughs> for I like that. There's, there's magic and robots. Welcome to episode 136 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO. And each week I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that will hopefully inspire your inner rockstar come and say hello we are rockstar cmo on twitter and linkedin and proud members of the marketing podcast network this episode was recorded on friday the 14th of october 2022 i hope you've had a good week you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be on this week's episode in the studio jeff clark and i chat about influencers I go backstage with Don Richmond, the co-creator of Filmio, for our first dip into Web3. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail with Robert Rose. But first, <laughs> we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Time for our first segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, former Forrester, Serious Decisions Research Director and sought-after marketing advisor. This week, we are under the influence of influencer. Welcome, Jeff, or welcome me to the marketing studio with Jeff Clark. If you want me to do the welcome, I'm more than happy to do it. I think that's what I'm going to have to start doing. Yeah, I'm going to have to start, you know. You, come on you in. Welcome me. Yeah. Open the door. Come on in. <laughs> I know I need to create another sound effect for the marketing studio door coming to a close. Yeah. I was actually, when I was thinking about this, and, and we called this the marketing studio, I was thinking about that actor, act, actor studio, the studio thing that was on TV where they would talk to a famous actor. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you familiar yeah. with that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyway, the uh, marketing studio with Jeff Clark. Uh, how are you, Jeff? All right? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very, very well. Good. Very good. And uh, I, I'm going to touch on the weather as usual. How is the weather in New England? Well, you know, we have had some uh, in New England. We have the beautiful fall colors, and it has been beautiful um, And uh, this year. And uh, But we're getting a big rainstorm coming through. I don't know. It's probably uh, some you know, dregs of a hurricane or something that's coming up the coast. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah. we may lose some of those, but uh, otherwise things are great. You're going to have the peepers. The leaf yes. Peepers. Oh, leaf peepers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's very similar here in old England, apart from bright blue sky today and our leaves are on the turn as well. So beautiful autumnal or fall day as uh, whichever one, I love whichever the word side of the pond. I love the word on. autumnal. It just has a nice <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I quite like the literalness of fall, actually. So I quite like some American <laughs> English. I think it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, this week uh, we, uh, we did some prep. And, uh, well, I say we did some prep. Uh, <laughs> you did some prep. <laughs> Somebody had to do it. Uh, but we um it's a topic i think we've been meaning to get to for a while uh from both of our backgrounds and because we often refer to analysts and research and reach and the the these are fundamental things of part of our ethic marketing fundamentals and it's influencer marketing which in b2b for me includes analyst relations bloggers pr and all that good stuff what say you jeff well i think you know and you're right we've we um you know, when we talk about market research, we talk about brands, we, I mean, various things we, we, we touch on, um, uh, you know, leveraging influencers. Uh, mm. uh, and, and I think that it's the interesting thing, as we were discussing a while ago when we, were, we had this yeah. idea, is that, you know, in the old days, there was like, you know, the AR, PR, IR. So, yeah. you know, you've got your comms team that's got a person who deals with analysts, a person who deals with press, a person who deals with, investor relations and you know yeah. it was reasonably simple um and certainly there was a discipline to it and now it's kind of all you know it's 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 kind of blown up a bit expands mm-hmm. and certainly you know i mean when my first job um you know we were beholden to when i worked at the company that created word processing software so we were beholden yeah. to the reviewers that were at pc magazine and pc world mm-hmm. and but yeah, and there's yeah. still people out there doing reviews and obviously there's the you know, the foresters yeah. and gardeners doing waves and quadrants, yeah. but you know, it's just, it's, it's gone so far beyond that because anybody who's got a blog, uh, you know, people mm-hmm. are active on social, which could be, um, you know, companies like a hub, you know, yeah. I, I was thinking about MarTech. I mean, yeah, you get yeah, HubSpot yeah. is, and, and, yeah. uh, and, a um, oh, there's just, um, a Hootsuite or, I mean, you have companies yeah. that because of their own, efforts to have a social media presence and have kind of a somewhat third party, (laughs) you know, blog site or something like that. Then it's like, my gosh, you know, anybody can get into this role and be an influencer. And even a couple of old analysts who find themselves doing a, you know, weekly mm-hmm. podcast could be an influencer. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, I mean, there's not to there's mention any names, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, we could be influencers, couldn't we? I mean, we it, could um, be. We could set, set ourselves, and then the ads we could be advertising. Uh, and this week, brought to you by Salesforce uh, or HubSpot, as you've just mentioned. Um, but it was, you know, around Martech. There's lots of prominent blogs, isn't there, around, around oh, yeah. marketing technology? Absolutely. And um, and there's our chums uh, at Cabinet M, who also are yep. pretty influential there as well. And the, the interesting thing, I mean, I should have started off the preface from an influence marketing perspective. We're just going to look at this from a B2B perspective, right? Correct. So, um, I, I'm going to, because I chatted with Jason Falls on this show a while ago, who's, a, who's, a, who's the author of Winfluence and, uh, and very much an influencer marketing expert. And two things came out of that conversation. One of them is he describes... It, it's some influence as as the duck faced v sign v sign v sign crowd you know <laughs> yeah exactly you know the people that are just going to we're not talking about those people that are on instagram and yeah. um but he also when i was talking to him about b2b influ- influencer marketing he felt that because we've got this uh, exactly what you were talking about we've always had to do influencer marketing right because of the strength of the analysts Yes. In, in most of making, our, helping make tech, complex right? buying decisions. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we definitely, as B two B marketers, we definitely got to care about influencer marketing. Only we might call it something different: AR, PR, and IR, right? Which 
in my view, I lump all that together these days, right? You, yeah. It used to be you would you would have a like you said an AR somebody responsible for AR, somebody responsible for PR, but really we've got to bring those folks together. But um, and I think we've kind of touched on this, but why should we care about influencers? Well, I think that the um, one of the things in your recent uh, um, drops from the uh, episode with Liz High, where mm-hmm. she was talking about the five principles, uh, and she was talking about yeah. you know think like a brand. Um, specifically not like a bank but obviously was widely um applicable and her fifth principle was um do the coaching so Mm -hmm. um so again if you want to be trusted uh as a brand um then you've got to help coach your your um your your buyers and your potential buyers and you know as we've often talked about in our five fundamentals and other things that there's you know it's all about meeting buyer needs and Of course, that's, you know, that's one way of expressing it, you know, um, from solution selling on to, you know, pain points, et cetera. But it's, it all comes down to yeah. understanding what the buyer need is. And in many cases, you have to educate customers on how to solve problems. And that's one of the things, right. you know, they're looking out to influencers and to mm-hmm. analysts and less so to the vendors to yeah. say, how do I solve a problem? So, you know, if I'm, right. you know, if I'm running into a productivity issue in my marketing department or I'm running into a a closing issue in my sales Mm -hmm. team or I'm running into, you know, IT issues or whatever, then it's like, I'm, you know, it it may not be obvious as to how I solve the problem. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for uh, people who can help educate me on how to solve that problem. And, And the key thing about why, you know, I as a marketer or as somebody who has a, who is at a company selling products and services mm-hmm. is that I want to be aligned with the advice that those influencers are giving to the buyers. Right, right, right. So, so there's two things we're using. And I think this very much leans to the relationship one would have with an analyst, right? And something that I kind of ranted a bit on my Tuesday Two Cents column on my own blog this week about, about category, right? Is that the yeah. analysts are very much about defining the category you're in but not but also there there's a positive and educational element to that isn't there in the in that um i mean the point i was making was that vendors want to be differentiated too far and and say that they're in a unique category of one their own right but if you do that you're there's no marketplace you have yeah. to have competitors and you have to have somebody defining that and you're saying the influencers in a, in a uh, creating that marketplace right they're they're educating the they're educating the buyer this is the marketplace to solve your problems here are the competitors that do that yeah and 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 you want to differentiate on the how you solve the problem yes the fact that you're totally different you know you're solving a totally different problem than the other people in the market but so that answers the question why do we care about influencers because they basically make the market basically don't they? yeah yeah. So how do we how so once I mean we've taken that approach and uh, well, how do you identify what are the who we need to influence in our particular category and and um, who we want to influence I guess in our category. Yeah. Well, you I mean you've you've got to go find out where the buyers are going for advice and and um I mean you know when I was mm-hmm. at Forrester Series Decisions you would call that yeah. what are the watering holes you know where do Yes yeah yeah where yeah. does the buyer or the various personas at the buyer cuz yeah. there'd be different answers for different you know people in different yeah. roles you know they'll yeah. go to different locations for getting um for getting advice and sometimes they're just going to yeah. go to colleagues which is yeah. different than the influencers but 
you know, that's where, um, you know, the, the, the traditional analysts that we talk about, you know, maybe yeah. one source. Um, and, um, but, you know, and so you can do the obvious thing about, you know, go to the analyst and say, you know, you know, what do you think about how people are solving this problem? And, you know, how, how what advice are you giving so I can help align with that? You might also yeah. ask them, well, you know, where are the buyers, you know, the buyers you talk to, because they do talk mm-hmm. to the buyers on a regular basis, where are they going for other sources of information? Mm-hmm. And so you can, you know, kind of use that to help, you know, branch out from the, the more traditional sources. And then yeah. also, you know, Talk to the customers, you know, do interviews, yeah. do surveys, ask yeah. sales reps, you know, where, where's everyone getting their information so you can yeah. kind of create a, a laundry list. And, and, and this would, you know, obviously the laundry list would include all the various types of influencers mm-hmm. we mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you can rank them. And I, you know, I've seen reference to the, you know, rank on three R's, relevance, mm-hmm. reach, resonance. So obviously oh, if there's a, if there's a, if there's yeah. a blogger who, um, seems to be smart, but his reach is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a couple hundred individuals, you may say, well, mm-hmm. you know, that might not be important, but if there's somebody who is yeah. not only uh, resonating with customers, not only seems to be very relevant yeah. to solving the problem, but it has a broader reach, then it's like, okay, I'm going to rate them higher. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, kind of score, you know, score the influencers out there uh, so that you can start yeah. doing your outreach. Well, also, I think that those kinds of scores might change what you want to use the influencer for, because I think if you're if you're going to have an influencer marketing program, then part of that investment is you want to, you know, you might find somebody who's incredibly knowledgeable and relevant, but doesn't have a lot of reach. You might be able to help them with that. So that sort of symbiotic relationship starts where you can help them with reach and they help you with third party content. So that's really interesting. Um, So. we want to uh, oh the other thing is is so would you add this as part of your sort of persona work and who influences oh, yeah. this persona yeah absolutely yeah. i mean i think yeah, this is yeah. this is work you know i mean i think if i think about developing um a, a go to market or a campaign yeah. that's yeah. <clears throat> supporting the go to market i mean this is uh, up in the beginning yeah. stages so this is yeah this is where you know you're really before you're formulating messages Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that are specific to the buying, not necessarily yeah. brand messages. I mean, not necessarily yeah. corporate brand messages, but now you're getting down to the, your particular product and solution. This yeah. is the work you do in those early stages because before right. you actually roll your messaging out, you want to make sure, again, you're aligned with what advice that the that these influencers are giving. Mm-hmm. You're using them as input. You can use them as input yeah. for your own campaign messaging. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and as you just said, I mean, you can actually make them part of the campaign, whether they're providing yeah. content or whether, whether yeah. they're just, they're just inputs. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then to my point about personas, you would actually have that ranked like, okay, so here's my personas needs, but here are the people that influence them when they're yeah. making a buying decision. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if we decide we're going to start dealing with influencers and we've sort of touched on that a little bit just a moment ago, which is there's various things we can, you know, with, <laughs> of course, if it's Forrester, it doesn't matter if you pay a subscription or not, right? They're independent. <laughs> so, no, yeah. But, yeah, but, so <laughs> what are the rules? I'm not allowed to comment with... on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I signed, I signed an agreement that I can't make agreements on whatever. Um, so the, that NDA, that NDA you got with Forrester lasts forever. <laughs> you signed your soul away. Yeah, right. I think it's part of my estate. 
Um, the uh, well, certainly. I mean, as you mentioned, NDAs. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that yeah. that you've got to have rules, and and this, and this mm-hmm. can get particularly when you get into social media. This can get pretty yeah. deep in terms of what what are the guidelines. Uh, you know, obviously having a non-disclosure agreement is essential yeah. because you're sharing information with them. They're sharing information yeah. with you. Um, perhaps being, as you said, on a subscription or, you know, having a yeah. seat, whatever with, with yeah. one of the analysts or whatever is going to be important because they'll mm. obviously give you more information if you're <laughs> yeah. a paying customer. Um, but then as you start using, whether you're using, you know, their quotes, comments, content, yeah, they're sharing things on you know on social. They're mm-hmm. speaking at conferences. What you know, then it's like you've got to make sure there's disclosure guidelines, right? And you're pretty right. clear about mm-hmm. whether something you know, like if I mean, in many companies yeah. we did the um, oh total economic impact analysis yeah. with a forester, so it's got to be very clear. Yeah. So vendor ABC paid for yeah. this. So yeah. it's likely an independent third-party view, but it does happen to be paid for by the vendor to yeah. provide this perspective. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you look lower down the food chain of influence, um, I'm, <laughs> we've, we've, we've been discussing in the sort of podcast network that, I, that we're part of, the, the MPN, is that new rules are coming in from the Advertising uh, Standards Agency here in yes. the UK that yeah. you need to be very clear on a podcast about when something is ad support, supported. So if I had a guest that paid to be on the show, I would need to say that. I don't have guests that pay to be on the show. Um, I but did I do not have, pay to be on the show. <laughs> but, I do, <laughs> but I do have ads. And what I do is I make it very clear when something is an ad and when something is a feature. And, and so I think that where you're talking about social media and that relationship with influencers, if you're... It, it's beholden on them as well to be very clear about when Absol- their oh. the content they're producing is is, is their is reputations supported. on the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that it's no good for either party, is it? If that get if that trust gets broken down because you've crossed the line on something like that. So when so that's a good start. So we're going to engage with these influencers, and we got to do various things like like get. get sign up for a subscription <laughs> how do we how do we how do we then use them how how's the best way to leverage the influence i mean and this i mean this is probably where we could go through um, a million use cases but it's like yeah. i think you i mean you kind of think of the basics or, you know or yeah. the starting with okay we need to get a line on messaging and advice so it's like this yeah. is what you're telling customers this is what we think we're telling customers yeah. you know is it are they reson is what we're saying resonating is it does it yeah. feel you know like we're telling the truth or we're we're yeah. providing value um using their research we kind of mentioned this to craft your your campaigns their mm-hmm. input into how your messaging and how you're talking to customers is helpful yeah. getting them to write third-party independent content that you can leverage mm-hmm. is absolutely mm-hmm. helpful i mean i you know mm-hmm. you know we've run together and and in, in various yeah. Uh, roles we've had we've run campaigns where some piece of research i mean it may not have been what the campaign centered on but it was certainly mm-hmm. very supportive or it helped us you know build a, mm-hmm. a momentum for an event a webcast or whatever mm-hmm. um you know having an analyst and a customer talk about um you know what they've received a benefit yeah. from a solution i mean all these things you're just building more and more credibility because you know mm-hmm. it's certainly um you know one of the things and i and i um no, I think this was from a uh, some research that was done that posted on a Hootsuite site. Is like you know the, yeah. the influencer marketing materials will 
outperform in terms of the impact oh, yeah. they outperform your own branded material yeah. so the more yeah, yeah. and it may not be you know uh, you know it, it doesn't out, outscore it by by you know magnitudes of two or something like that but it's still oh, the more man. you can use that third-party branded material the the more yeah, yeah. i mean it, again we comes back to we're trying to help the customer solve problems I, so so that's where you're putting yourself in the role of i'm helping you solve a business problem yeah i've, I've been on every side of this particular thing right so i've commissioned a third party independent uh, content which has performed much better than any content a vendor would be there's a trust thing right and people mm-hmm. aren't going to trust the voice of the vendor i've been an analyst and had everybody you know, enjoying every word I spoke. And then when I joined the vendor, nobody believed me anymore. So, yeah. you know, and so I've, I've, I've provided that kind of, kind of in fact, here on, on Rockstar CMO, there's a couple of um, sponsored pieces that we've done uh, for folks. So uh, maybe I should, shouldn't be plugging what we do at Rockstar CMO on our own podcast, but I should, well, I, I should have put that in an ad should, <laughs> yes. for the, for the authorities. That was an ad, yeah, but yeah, yeah um, uh, um, it is, it's like that consulting thing, isn't it? When you're a consultant and you enter the room and, some, and you, you, you tell people what to do and then somebody pulls you aside, he goes, I've been telling them this for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's the same with that content, isn't it? The, the, yeah. the, uh, the third party just is it, more credible than you are. You just can't get over that. Right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and um, I've also, I mean, I've, I've a couple other examples that popped in my head is is yeah. I worked at a company where um, we had acquired uh, an open source um, integration mm-hmm. product, and the open and yeah. the company actually had people who were who were like um, thought leaders in the development world, the open source development mm-hmm. world in Java yeah. on the payroll, and and yeah. they had to maintain their independence. Um, yeah, yeah. but they were out there commenting, you know, in forums and yeah. on blogs and stuff like that. And they, yeah. you know, the association with the, with the vendor was there, but it was kind of mm-hmm. downplayed. So it's like, yeah. that's to me that, that was like the extreme uh, of mm-hmm. using influencers because, Hey, they're, yeah. they're on the payroll, but they're, yeah. but, but people respect them. And certainly, yeah, I mean, I worked at, when I worked. And just to briefly touch on when I worked at Pega yeah. and yeah. our CEO, Alan Treffler, who, not as much in the in the product space, but certainly in the investor world, because again, yeah. there there's a set of influencers. I mean, he was often yeah. on shows talking. And he was talking about you know business change, so yeah. that then you know he becomes an influencer more broadly than just yeah. um, uh, the product we're selling. But obviously, he's representing a brand. So that's mm-hmm. I mean, that's another is is just a, how do you take somebody who's in the company. And make them a credible influencer. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole topic in itself, isn't it? Because the other thing about influencer is you're going to use these influencers for different things. In that instance, you want to demonstrate your company. You know, one of the things is trust your company from a financial perspective, right? So it might be that you want to influence the financial community. It isn't just always the buyer, is it? That this this is a broad thing you want to take. And I think that influencer on the payroll thing is an interesting point because that you know there is a fine line and the 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 thing is is whilst you want to have your influencers under nda they're not exclusive to you and that there's a value in that right that you need them to talk to other vendors you need them to be out in the market um, because that two things that makes them credible but it also keeps their knowledge fresh as soon as you get somebody who's now um you know sipping too hard on your kool-aid you've lost some of that objectivity haven't you and I always wondered about um, 
you know, like we, we talked about HubSpot of being an influencer yeah. and they obviously put yeah. Scott Brinker on the payroll yes. of CMO. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. Scott Brinker being like one of the foremost yeah. MarTech influencers yeah. and now he's yeah. with a, so there's a, yeah. there's the, there's the um, yeah. associated brand value of having him there, yeah. but then how do you keep him what? being, as you said, independent? And I, yeah. I, I'm not as close enough to what he's been doing recently to to give yeah. a, a opinion on that. But I just, it, yeah. to me, that was an interesting, interesting issue to um, to well, run into. Well, that's another topic, isn't it, about hiring influencers or hiring analysts uh, as a, as a, as a as a vendor? Because that that you know, you better be hiring them because they're good at their job as a marketer. Because that value as an influencer is going to wane, isn't it? And they're going to, yes. you know, the market's going to lose trust in them because now they're part of your tribe. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yes. So uh, we uh, we thought we'd struggle with time on this one because it's such a fascinating topic. Um, but uh, you, you, what what about you know approaching this? Do I mean we can in house this? I've in house this kind of thing before. I, you know, but I, is it should we use tools? Should we use agencies? How do you know, it's it's, it's like I I um so I, personally I don't have a lot of experience with tools or agencies that mm-hmm. help you in this. I mean, other than the fact that you know, like doing like social media monitoring yeah. intelligence, where you yeah. can pick up you know who's talking about topics and things like that. But yeah. outside of that, I mean, to me, this is where. You know, building your relationships. You want to have a relationship yeah. with the influencers. Yeah. So doing your yeah. own work and doing it, yeah. you know, one to one as opposed to a third party. And maybe yeah. you know, if you've got a PR agency or, um, uh, you know, uh, or an IR agency, you yeah. can use them to introduce you to people. But I think ultimately, yeah. you don't want you don't want them uh, to be the go between. You want to make sure yeah. you've built that relationship. And you're doing your own work and you're tracking it yourself with your own tools. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I absolutely agree because it is about relationships. And I think um, you, you can't do that via a third party. So that's excellent. So we kind of skated across the surface there of influencer uh, marketing for B2B. So I think we can, or influence relationships for B2B. I think there's plenty there we could dig into. But we're on the last agenda item. Uh, Jeff, what song am I going to play out with this week? Well, it's it's a little out of the rock genre, but Bruno Mars' "Count on Me" uh, from 2010. Uh-huh. He, you know, uh-huh. he, he's got a, a, a good message. If you ever find mm-hmm. yourself lost in the dark, you can't see. I'll be the light to guide you. So again, uh, we're helping people funny. solve problems. So mm-hmm. a we and our influencers will to, guide you. Yeah, a very positive way to end, and and how we feel about analysts in the industry and influencers so that's wonderful so i'll play out with some Bruno of my Mars. best friends are analysts by the way <laughs> i know so, well some of my best friends are former analysts or at least people that i've met through this podcast yeah. <laughs> all right mate i'll let you go for another week and um will you be back in the studio next week yes Good. And uh, I don't think, uh, well, we'll introduce the topic when we get there. We haven't, we haven't got one ready to share now. So, yeah. All right, mate, I'll, I'll speak to you next week on something else. And uh, have a great week, mate. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. See you then. Bye. Bye. If you ever find yourself stuck in the middle of the sea, I'll sail the world to find you. If you ever find yourself lost in the dark and you can't see I'll be the light to guide you Find out what we're made of When we are called to help our friends in need You can count on me
Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little snippet of Count On Me by Bruno Mars from 2010. And if you have any feedback or think Jeff or the band here can help with your influence on marketing, give us a shout. You can contact us through the website at rockstarcmo.com. Right, time to go backstage with something a little bit different this week, as I've shied away from Web3 on this show, as plenty of other much better podcasts cover this. But I got the opportunity to chat with a fascinating chap, Don Richmond, who's the chief marketing officer of Ingredient X, the film and software development studio specializing in blockchain, DeFi, decentralized finance and NFT technologies. And as you will hear, Don is the co-creator of Filmio, the world's most powerful decentralized filmmaking ecosystem that places Hollywood decision making onto the blockchain and into the hands of creators and fans. Don has had a splendid creative agency marketing career with over 20 years of experience working with such notables as HBO, DirecTV, ESPN, Barnes & Noble and Showtime, including the launch and management of the DirecTV sports platform, working with sports legends like Kobe Bryant and Peyton Manning. He's also a six-time author and illustrator, and now I'm delighted to welcome him to Rockstar CMO. Welcome, Don, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. So for people that don't know you, Don, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the CMO of Ingredient X, uh, which is the... Ingredient X is the film and software development studio, and we specialize in blockchain, DeFi, and NFT technologies, including the creation of Filmio, which is our, uh, it's the world's most powerful decentralized filmmaking ecosystem. Right. And I think that's interesting because the, the, we're we're in the space now of Web three, right, and NFTs and all that stuff, and D, and DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations is totally hot right now. So my, I'm hoping my most of my listeners, some of them might be filmmakers, but most of my listeners are, are marketers. Um, tell us a little bit about what is a DAO and 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 how that structure works. Well, that's great because uh, first. Uh, a little caveat, I'm a marketer, so I'm not a technologist. <laughs> so in order to really explain a DAO, you should be a technologist, but I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. So when people first come to the idea of DAOs for the first time mm-hmm. and they need a simple definition, I think the best way to think of a DAO is it's a magic internet community in which the board of directors are mm-hmm. every member. Uh, whose voices generally increase with participation in the DAO Mm -hmm. and whose consensus decisions are carried out by powerful, punctual, neutral, and transparent robots. That's my (laughs) definition for that. I like that. There's there's magic and robots. Magic robots. (laughs) That's fantastic. Right now, most DAOs are... are, uh, financial DAOs. So they're mm-hmm. fun. They're, you know, funds. So people pull yeah. together resources and they govern how the resources are used. So right. Right. Mo- they're most, mostly investment DAOs. Um, right. They pool to buy assets, but you certainly don't need, um, there's a, a thousand other uses mm-hmm. for a DAO. So using that technological template of a DAO, mm-hmm. um, People can transform any legacy industry uh, from finance to filmmaking. Right. 
which is where you come in. So how how do you describe the difference between the decentralized filmmaking ecosystem that you've created with Filmio versus what people might understand to be a regular, you know, structure of of making a film? Hmm. That's a great question. So taking a step back, I think mm-hmm. what DAOs can do are, uh, I mean, if you look at it, uh, everything that was wrong with Ebenezer Scrooge's business is now gone. Right. So gone are the centralized controls, mm-hmm. uh, mitigated are the inequities, the inequalities done away with are the funding blocks. Mm-hmm. And what's left is a deep, a sense of social dignity mm-hmm. and efficient mechanisms for performing business functions at scale. So that's that's what a DAO can do. So what we do is the film industry. Mm-hmm. We we saw. I mean, we had a few friends that uh, were lamenting their treatment by Hollywood, you know, rough mm-hmm. play, right? Mm-hmm. And the film industry we recognize needs to put the power back into the hands of creators and fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you convert an industry into a DAO, there's the creation of a useless class. So the useless class in this case are all those, you know, middlemen that do all their fantastic work these days, but who proliferate maybe some of those uh, bad functions that we uh, associate with Hollywood. So you don't need that anymore. That's all uh, mediated by the DAO. So all that governance is is now in the hands of people, in the hands of fans. So people with, you know, anywhere in the world can have their voice heard. And any creator can have their film or TV project funded, produced, distributed, uh, no matter what, you know, their connections. You don't need right. to have those connections anymore. Oh, right. That's interesting. So, I mean, this is very much the the Web3 way, isn't it? Is the, it and and it is. you, you hear a lot of the conversation around Web3 happening with the creator community. So this sounds like you're giving um, access to an audience and to resources to filmmakers as creators, right? Without those sort of barriers that traditionally exist. Yeah. Think about it. You have a film, either a script or a film. Yeah. What do you do with it? Where do you start? What's the path? If I want to be a doctor, that's extremely complex, but at least there's a path. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a filmmaker. What's right. my path? Right. Right. And so yeah. how do people sort of get involved? How does Filmio actually work? You know, let's imagine that I do have a, stri- a script um, and obviously it's, it's, it's excellent, <laughs> but nobody's interested in it. How, how, how does one, how, you know, how, how does one engage with something like Filmio? Or if I'm a filmmaker or whatever is the right persona that you, you would say fitted it, how, how does one yeah, engage creator. with it and how, how would it help? Yeah, if you're a creator, mm-hmm. um, you uh, would join the Filmio DAO yeah. and it allows you to submit your project as a proposal. So... Mm-hmm proposal in air quotes yeah um you you would uh ask fans to show their support for your project Mm -hmm. and believe in it by staking their tokens we have a proprietary go score that would Mm -hmm. then give a predictive uh score to your project success and help move it along the system so we create a path for you yeah right 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 so 
Um, so all the people that are in film, all, all of the people in the Filmio community have these tokens that they can not spend or bet. I don't know what the right term is on on these new projects. Yeah, yeah, uh, vote or stake. Yeah, yeah stake, and they're so. used. That, that's good. I mean, it's used for governance. So yeah, yeah. really, it's a store of governance. So you would think of it, it's a signifier, just like a right. token. Token comes from the root word to signify. Yeah. And you're signifying something. What are you signifying? Governance intent. Right. So your somebody's uh, governance power might be higher because what we've seen is they make better decisions, oh, better governance okay. decisions. So they have a higher reputation right. in uh, on the platform. Right. So the the pooling together of all these reputational votes. Mm-hmm these governance votes creates where the platform should go with each individual proposal and with the governance of the platform altogether. Right. So you're kind of creating a film hit machine really of, of, of <laughs> trying to bring in ideas and then through the, through the, the way that the, our, I guess, algorithms work and that the people are, are staking, you're then introducing a prediction of success. So then that, that then helps the filmmaker then get his film made, his her film made, and and, right. and move through move through the process. Yeah, it's an incubator, uh, yeah. so to speak. And yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's great because it it eliminates a lot of people. There's like a very small group of people making the majority of decisions yeah. for tremendous number of films that are proposed. Right. So to be a creator right now, it's it's easier or not easier. It's about the same stats mm-hmm. to become uh, an NBA basketball player as it is to wow. be a creator. Yeah, it's that, that's ridiculous. Right, and does it because because the, you're stripping out a lot of the middlemen and therefore the cost and all of that friction. Does this mean that there's a lower bar to somebody finding some success? So it might be that it's a small what used to be considered an independent film that has a relatively small audience, but because you haven't had to, you know, fight for three years and spend all that money, you can actually produce, it, the movie gets made. Is, do you see any, is that sort of benefit you're seeing? I would say that's a fair assessment. Also, um, we just need more, uh, I would say, environmental backgrounds mm-hmm. of the people that are making the decisions. So right. more varied voices need to be right. heard. And if right. that's not obviously the speak right now in Hollywood, but mm-hmm. it's not coming to pass, the way mm-hmm. that that can come to pass is for a DAO to make the decisions. Right. Then you have such a variety of voices that now you're really just starting to see the films that have and TV shows that have the talent mm-hmm. are the ones that are rising. It's right. not that, oh, well, this one you know, comes from this background. So we aren't really seeing traction with that. Well, it's not that you're not seeing traction. You're afraid to bet on that and you don't have any validation metrics behind it. Well, we give these films the validation metrics so that they can be seen as being as worthy as another film that comes from a different environmental background. Right, right. So you, so because of the nature and the breadth of the community you have in the in the DAO and the types of people you have, you have, um, you therefore, you know, you then have more divergent, diverse thinking about what 
people might like in terms of films rather than you know a small class of of tastemakers you're actually you know putting it out to a much wider community of would you like this would you bet would you stake it that's right that's yeah, exactly yeah. right so what what you're doing is you're taking your uh the symbol or the store mm-hmm. of value of your governance yeah and you yeah. are then staking it and saying my intent is that this is this represents my viewpoint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's really a great mechanism for um for what you would say sort of uh, uh governing a a whole process that's a multi-step process right and being able to oversee every piece of it right. so it, it's very complex to make a film as we're seeing cost 300 million dollars but yeah. at what point are you finally getting audience feedback? Well, in Hollywood, they're getting it right at the end. Yeah. At the end, they're putting together all these focus groups and saying, well, how should we yeah. market this? Yeah, well, yeah. forget about marketing it. Make yeah. something worthwhile to begin yes. with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so so I guess the strength of Filmio is in the people you have involved in the, in the DAO, I guess, isn't it? Is, I mean... You need to encourage that right. that diversity, right? That's right. It's a right. double equal sign. It's a, it's an exact equivalence. Filmio is the power of the DAO. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. can't be us. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I find. I mean, I'm I'm relatively inexperienced in this whole Web three world. I live in B two B tech marketing, firmly still in in Web two, figuring out whether an NFT is a good idea for a marketing campaign. So just to level set, right? But you all, I mean, yeah, you yeah. said that you're a marketer and you've come from that background. What is it that the, my listeners, my, the marketers that listen, need to know about DAOs? And if they get involved and they're, they're perhaps they're, they're, they're looking to, to market a DAO and take something like Filmio to market, what, what's the different challenges they might have? Well, the first thing to know about DAOs is that it's, it's based on the blockchain and the blockchain is probably the most... Uh, I, I, I can't tell you how spectacular an innovation that was. Mm-hmm. If you think of the internet as being yeah. a spectacular innovation, yes. um, the blockchain is equivalent. Yeah. So that's right now it's happening. And just like you had people saying, well, should I buy a computer? What do I need yeah. a computer for? Yeah. Should I get a website for my business? Why do I need a website for yeah. my business? Yeah. Now people are saying, well, do I really need to be on the blockchain? What's the value of the blockchain? You're like, my God, this again, you know? So, but that's, that's natural in these type of revolutions. You know, these, uh, you know, the structure of scientific revolutions, the Kuhnian revolutions in which a paradigm shift is occurring. Mm -hmm. So with this paradigm shift, we're having DAOs now as being this like beautiful mechanism for disintermediating mm. a whole group of people that were in between you and what you needed, the two peer-to-peer right. endpoints of a transaction. Right. They're now being disintermediated, yeah. um, and you can deal directly with people. What right. do you need a gigantic centralized banking institution for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, at this point, uh, a DAO could replace a government. I mean, mm. that's what, how big this thing is. But it's like a hyper object. So it's so giant that that people aren't seeing really what's coming toward them. Mm. It's coming, you know, like a mm. glacier. But 
we're now seeing the true value of these where it collides with actual useful industries like the filmmaking industry. Suddenly, film is done differently. Amazon did it with Web2, where we were saying, why would we buy a book online? Why don't I just go to the bookstore? I'll just hop in my car and get a book. Well, now we know know, how stupid that question was, right? Not that bookstores are bad. I love bookstores. But (laughs) the whole point being, now we're seeing it come to market. So the first thing that you need to know if you're going to bring your DAO to market, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like uh, you need... You need a message. So your message in in a web two sense is a is a negotiation with your market. Mm-hmm. A message in a in a web three sense is delivering a gospel. So you really have something that is so beautiful and so life transforming right. that you have to let people know. So that's a right. huge education problem for the marketer. Right. So educate, educate, educate. Right. And then the next step once they're on board is to get them to engage because not too many people are going to know what to do when they get there. Right. And so, I mean, if I think about you probably marketing Filmio, it sounds to me like the first thing you needed to market was the fact it was a DAO. And, 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 um, and that was a, that's a brand attribute of, if I, if I use that kind of marketing terminology of Filmio is that it is a DAO and that's that primary brand attribute that people that then attracts the audience into um, and then the fact that you make films is kind of set, or not secondary, if you know what I mean. It's it is part of it. It's but, the next layer. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that would? That's right. Do you think that's? I mean, well, a couple of things from what you were saying is that analogy to the dawn of the internet. I've heard that a couple of times actually. That that some of this stuff, NFTs, uh, some of some of some of the cryptos, some of that isn't going to work. Just the same way as some of the some of the big hype in the inter- internet the dawn of the internet yeah. didn't work but there's something here that will move forward and we should all get educated on it and think about how it might impact our lives going forward and come up with these interesting ideas but do you think there's a point at which that what the scenario i just described where the dao is re- the the fact that filmio is a dao is the important part do you think that will change do you think people will just be like I, I just, you know, Filmio is the best way of me getting what I want to get done. The fact it's a DAO is it becomes inconsequential because that just, it's like saying in the old internet days, wasn't it, that, that, that it was a hy- hyperlink or whatever the, the sort of terminology we used to use is now that we don't use that terminology anymore. Do you think, is that where this is going to go, do you think? I, well, I, I kind of question the framing. So <laughs> it's, it's okay, but... Uh, my vision of the framing of Web2 was that it doubled down on the promises made by just the Internet. So at first we were saying, oh, the Internet is this. And we didn't even see, we didn't even know what we didn't know yet, how great it could be. So then we had uh, social media. We weren't ready for that as a culture. And then it just ballooned. So that's exactly what's happening now is at first you had, smart contracts and you had uh you know uh, uh now we, we have DAOs which are really exploding out so you could mm-hmm. almost say that DAOs are like the web 3.5 right. of the web 3 movement mm-hmm. and so it's just going to intensify yeah and so uh, few people could see it i mean who, who could see it like uh, marshall McLuhan, maybe mm-hmm. but uh there's no futurist that could have imagined 
what could have happened right. uh, moving so quickly to get to the point where we don't need large cent- centralized institutions. Mm-hmm. We can decentralize and and that's in everyone's best interest. Right. So right. it's scary, right. it's big, it's beautiful, and it's you know exciting. And it's entirely yeah, exciting and fascinating. It's one of those topics where I feel like the more I know, the more I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it leaves me oh, thinking oh. I need to I need to understand this a bit more. So and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the time, and, and it, 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 this is fascinating, particularly applying it to your industry and, and to, to Filmio. So I'm going to move to our final question. And I know you're a, you're, I don't know if you describe yourself as a former marketer or still a marketer, but we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on overhyped trends that plague the marketing industry you love. Bit of a, bit of a shifting gears from, from talking about Web3, but what would you chuck in? I don't know what, exactly what I would chuck in, but w- one of the things that I think might uh, be in line would be mm-hmm. performance. So yeah. if you have a performative, you have something like uh, Coke adds life. Mm-hmm. So this, I mean, Coke does not add life. Coke is caffeinated <laughs> sugar juice yeah, yeah. that um, tastes like candy that has bubbles that burn your throat. Yeah. So. Coke does not add life. So take those things and throw them away. We're not in that age anymore. People want to know specifically what something does and what its value is. And you don't, something that's way more interesting Mm -hmm. is the actual truth. So give them the actual truth about what your thing is, whatever it is. If it's a DAO, it's fantastic. Tell them the truth. That's far more interesting. Wow. Telling them the truth in marketing, mate. I don't know whether that'll ever catch on, but I like that idea. That <laughs> sounds splendid, Don. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Fascinating conversation. Um, but when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where, gonna, where can they find you? Um, you can find me at don at film.io or um, go to our go to uh, Filmio official on Discord and then you can see what we're up to. Wow, of course you're on Discord. You're right there with the cool kids. That's amazing. So that's splendid. I'll include all your links in the show notes. I'd encourage people to go look at some of this stuff. The, the Filmio website's fascinating. And I um, hope to uh, really enjoy this conversation. And just before we were recording, there was a couple of other things you were talking about. So maybe you should come back on the show. Thank you very much, Don. I'd love to. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Listeners, my advice, do a podcast and get to chat with fascinating people. I don't know much about Hollywood, but it sounds like a great application of all this Web3 stuff we keep hearing so much about. And I will, of course, include all of the links to Don and the things we discussed in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, talking of Hollywood, time to join my LA-based chum who does know a thing or two about Hollywood, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory. As we wind down the week, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It is, uh, it's good to see you here. Um, you know, it's Friday. It's been a long mm-hmm. week, um, mm-hmm. and we have just the most like we're just going to do a basic it's the end of summer i think is is the is the uh, is the way you know and i know it's probably ended there already um <laughs> to a certain degree um because i think at least summer this year ends we can say in, yeah at least in, this, this 
Sorry. You go. I was just going to say, just, <laughs> I think that uh, that uh, summer ends in, in, in London probably around April, I think it is, or somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, well, what I was going to say is at least this year we actually had a summer. So Yeah, that's true. We, we, that's yeah, true. We, we had, did. We had, yeah, we had five days of, 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 of heat, furnace heat or something or other like that. So, yes. So, yes, it is indeed. Summer is waning here, too. So, we're both... Yes. So we'll have a little bit of a celebration of a summer drink mm-hmm. um, because yes. this week uh, we had a we had a bit of a, a end of summer gathering at our house and and we ended up having this drink that we'll have tonight you and I mm-hmm. called a Paloma um, which is a classic tequila cocktail um, mm-hmm. it is about as easy to make as it possibly can be which <laughs> is simply tequila a little lime juice and uh-huh. grapefruit. Uh, juice um, mm-hmm. and it's just a wonderful thing so you just literally as taste allows put in mm-hmm. a squeeze of lime uh, a little bit of grapefruit juice and then your favorite reposado tequila and you have right. a very refreshing summer drink now some people like grapefruit soda in other words they like it sparkling I'm not a sparkling mm-hmm. drink fan for the uh-huh. most part um, uh-huh. So I just use grapefruit juice, but you can also use grapefruit soda. Um, and right. Palomas are so popular that in many cases you can find them in a can. Like you can literally find Paloma wow. <laughs> in, a, in a can in your favorite grocery store. So um, I would not recommend that. I would recommend making it yourself. But, uh, but you know, to each his own, as it were. We'll be having them yes. freshly made, custom made, well, bespoke. Because we're, we're classy. And talking of bespoke, I shall attempt to make that drink using only the ingredients on my desktop bar. Um, so I'm going to start off with what I think we've agreed over the 900 weeks we've been doing this, the most English of uh, tequilas, which is going to be some Hendrix gin. Oh, no, hang on a minute. Was there ice in yours? Uh, yes. Ice in oh, yes. This is a summer drink, so it is, it is chock full of ice. Ah, yeah. gotcha. All right. So I've put some ice in that. I shall pour in some of this lovely gin and uh, you said some people like this paloma sparkling did you say they do yeah some people do like mm. it sparkling i do not but uh, others do oh okay well i'm instead of the lime juice i'm gonna go with what have we got here this is uh tonic water with uh, from oh. the lovely people at fever tree and they've they've put in some cucumber which we all we both know is the most english of limes yes indeed so, uh, let, let me give this a taste. The most English of lines. Yes. <laughs> There's a joke oh, there, but I'm not going to even go close. <laughs> is it limey? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this is this is this is delicious, Robert. What are we calling these? Uh, well, we would call that a paloma uh, if yes. you had tequila or any of the ingredients <laughs> that it requires. Yes. Well, this is delicious, and I could drink one of these every week. And where are we drinking these, Robert? Well, I thought we would celebrate the end of summer um, by going somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tropical. And, and, and so uh, there's a place. Um, and in fact, it looks like my wife will actually be traveling there. Um, so I did a little mm-hmm. bit of research into it. And it's a place called Dominica, mm-hmm. uh, which is just off the British Virgin Islands, actually. Um, yeah. And it's its own little country. And it's sort of untouched and beautiful. And uh, wow. it's got beaches and whales and very tropical so i figured we could go sit on the beach for one last summer weekend and and hang out on the beach and 
drinks and palomas. I love it. I love it. And what and and what reason would you have for not going if your your wife will That's be true. there? It sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. sounds beautiful. So um, we are enjoying these post-summer drinks and enjoying the last of the summer in this beautiful tropical island. Conversation turns to marketing as it inevitably does. Uh, what are we talking about this week? Well, I thought we'd talk a little bit about strengths and weaknesses. Um, mm. One of the things that I have been doing with clients of late, especially those that are forming a new content marketing or content strategy team, uh, mm -hmm. is to do a skills audit. And the reason we're doing a skills audit is because we end up in this situation where the team that's being formed isn't net new. In other words, they're not net new people. They are people right. coming from different parts of the organization. Sometimes it's marketing, sometimes PR, sometimes uh, demand generation. You know, they're coming from different, mm -hmm. but they're new as a team, right? So they're new. Right. They have new charters. They have new governance and workflow responsibilities. They have new measurement capabilities and technology sometimes. And so there's a lot of new. We often, it's funny, we in, in business, we often call this change management, but it's really new management for the most part because the skills and the techniques and the approaches for this content strategy and content marketing are mostly net new to most businesses. And it's a new team doing them. And so what we end up doing is a bit of a skills audit to see where people are, not necessarily to identify their weaknesses, but in many mm -hmm. cases to identify the strengths that they have so that we can see where they might focus first as a team right. in order to get some real ground movement before we start focusing in on, okay, where do they need to close gaps either with new resources or new training or new skills that they need to develop. And right. there's actually a, a great deal of thinking that's done on this. Um, there's a wonderful book called Strengths-Based Leadership, um, mm -hmm. which was written uh, probably 20 years ago um, from the folks from the Gallup uh, organization. And they did a 30-year research project on how to invest deeply into the talents and strengths and minimize the effects of a weakness of a team. And that's the approach. But conversely, there are a lot of people who think that, you know, focusing solely on strengths has its pitfalls. And there is uh, a, uh, some Harvard Business Review uh, articles about this, which is thinking that, you know, if you get wrapped up around strengths, well, there are a lot of weaknesses which are actually just overdeveloped strengths. A great example mm -hmm. of that is you might have a really politically astute team leader but that mm -hmm. team leader actually might be quite manipulative as a boss. And so mm -hmm. you want to, you know, focusing on, for example, the speed or the creativity of an in-house design team. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. They're fast and they're creative and we love them. But you might lean so heavily into that strength that all of a sudden now they're overworked and, and considered idiosyncratic yeah. in their behavior. And they're, you know, <laughs> basically they're just ornery, <laughs> right? Because um, they're yeah. so overworked. And so yeah. deciding on whether to focus on strengths or weaknesses is not just an easy decision, but what I find is for new content teams, especially where they're doing so much new things, uh, it's good to focus on the strengths because when we focus on the weaknesses or what they have to you know, shore up, it yeah. can lead to a perception that 
it's not working. Like the content or the marketing or the content strategy isn't working because they're trying so hard to get good at something that they're not good at that they haven't actually exploited all the things that they are good at. And it creates right. this initial impression that it, the strategy isn't working. And so focusing on those strengths can be a great way to actually build in the muscle that you need for content strategy and then focus in on where we need to shore up some of the things. It's a nice way to phase in some of these new activities that the content team is going to have to really take on, but also acknowledge that there are things that we're not going to do, literally acknowledging publicly, mm -hmm. we are not going to do this because we don't know how to do it or we're not good at it yet. Right, right. That's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, a few thoughts popped into my head there around that. And one of those is, I was thinking this was probably, um, you know, a good exercise with a content team or, or with a multidisciplinary team like that is because you'll find the team tends to lean towards what they know or what they're good at, right? So I think in the past, we've talked about this, where we've talked about, oh, we, do, we always do this function or we always produce these papers or this kind of content because they're in the habit and that's where their strength is, right? Whereas it might be that, I don't know, research isn't particularly, you know, they don't have anybody who's particularly good at research and so they don't. Um, so I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because then you can kind of detect a bias maybe in, in the work that people are doing based on those strengths. Is that is that what you see with these teams? Yeah, well, it's you, what I see yeah. is is that it's it's a place to carve out your initial spot, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In other words, in many cases, when we make the business case for a content marketing team or a content strategy yeah. team or both, by the way, yeah. Um, yeah. the business case we make can be based on things that the team won't initially be good at. And, right. and so, so a, a common one, for example, might be content reuse, uh, translation and mm -hmm. localization for the global, you know, the global organization, right? Yeah. And we yeah. say, if we can create a team that creates content and creates an efficient process and reuse and repackaging uh, idea and really get into translation and globalization, then we'll save the company money and we'll be more efficient and we'll have time to do higher quality content. That becomes the business case, right? Mm -hmm. However, right. the new team that's being associated with that might not be very good at translation and localization to begin with. Yeah. And so yeah. focusing in on that core benefit of the business case can often be a mistake because you end up in a situation where you're over-promising and under-delivering. And, mm -hmm. and so commonly what we would say is let's carve out all of the responsibilities, the, you know, the, the superset of responsibilities that content strategy and content marketing want to take on. Right. You know, for example, building a blog or building a resource mm -hmm. center. The team might not be good at that yet, but it right. might be good at writing and it might be good at creating really creative ideas and it might be good at something else. And so right. looking before you, you know, after you've made the business case holistically, mm -hmm. but before you put together the roadmap of telling the bosses or whoever it's going to be yeah, what yeah. you're going to do, doing that skills audit and wrapping your roadmap certainly for the initial phases around the strengths of the team that come right. out of that skills audit so that you can actually get that traction that you really need. But acknowledging that, of course, we're going to add this or not add this or whatever it is mm -hmm. as we shore up the different weaknesses that we have, but focusing on strengths first. Right, right. And then um, I think that's interesting because um, that was the next thing I was going to ask you about is then 
do you then have a model for what are the things that you need in an, in an optimal content strategy, content marketing team that you then, I mean, I like this idea that you're saying is that in an ideal world, this is what your content strategy and content marketing should look like. It will do these things. But That's when right. we do the skills audit, we can see, okay, so we haven't got the skills. Let's say that the normal process do A, B, C, D. We've got the skills in-house at the moment to do a lot of C and D. So let's pull them things forward and do those while we work on getting those other things in place. Is that the sort of thing you're saying here? So there's a model that you can implement, but it needs to be done within the strengths and weaknesses of that team that, they, that you're coming across. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It, and and, and yeah. we actually do have a model that we work from for sure yeah. um, in terms yeah. of, you know, we have what we call our six core responsibilities right. of a content team. And mm -hmm. within each one of those six responsibilities are obviously skills and capabilities that you yeah. need, which are, you know, people skills, process skills and technology skills to, to, to make yeah. those each of those responsibilities, you know, a, a core capability. But right. once you've explored that, then it's it, it's it's wrapping your roadmap around which of those six and which within mm -hmm. those six you're going to take on and how you're going to take it on and roll it out. And that's. That's right. the benefit of doing that work is really, you know, not just saying, yay, we've got a content team. Let's go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's take it all yeah, on. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. it just it doesn't work very well. Yeah, especially as it's I mean, the first time I put together a content team and you were there because you helped and you were consulting when I went back back in the day. Um, I was basically given a, a kind of a hodgepodge of and I hope none of them are listening and feel this is a, this is in any way an insult because it was a wonderful little team but they came from different parts of marketing and because content marketing was was a fairly new discipline so therefore you know they had a different set they had a different skill set which wasn't you know which wasn't content marketing so I had somebody who was really good at editing I had a, I had a writer but I had to discover those things do you see what I mean and that and I think is that still the case with content marketing because it's it's still a new unit within marketing that people are putting together. These people are coming from different parts of, of marketing. And so you need to kind of, there's always going to be some development that needs to be done. Yeah, I think, well, right. Sense. It's always evolving, right? It's never <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's always yeah, yeah. changing and it's always evolving. And, yeah. and that's one of the things, right? I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is marketing, you know, really yeah. um, where the needs, the skills and the, and everything changes. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, content may actually have more change than most. Um, and the mm -hmm. change may be more rapid than most other functional areas, but ultimately mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a process. Um, right. and you know, I mean, I, we've talked about it on this show before where yeah. today's world for content strategies, especially it's much less important to understand what you're changing into and develop mm -hmm. the strength to just change full stop. Right, um, because right, in many right. cases, you don't mm -hmm. know what you're changing into. You just have to have the ability, you know, the strength mm -hmm. is not understanding what we're trying to transform into. The strength is the ability mm -hmm. to change into whatever we need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also what I was thinking while you were talking there is that you, if you find strengths in a team, like say like they're very good at um, video, for example, and there's a videographer on the on the team. Then ev the solution to every problem is a video. <laughs> you get that kind well, of thing. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, precisely, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You often, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, and that, by the way, that is that is one of the pitfalls, right? That that mm -hmm. you know, that's that overdeveloped, 
strength becomes a weakness, right? Where, yeah. you know, you've got, you know, everybody on the team just happens to be amazing at video. Now, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. the, the entire world, you know, is your video nail and the, and all you need yeah. is a hammer, right? And, yeah. and so, yeah. Yeah. you know, we need to acknowledge that some, you know, we need to have the awareness to be able to acknowledge that, yes, mm. we may be, you know, we may not choose, but by the way, the team that we get, you know, it's, it's almost yeah. like the Magnificent Seven, right? You know, you're, yes. you're pulling together yeah, this yeah. ragtag team yeah. of people from all sorts yeah. of backgrounds. And, you know, yeah. coincidentally, you're all great gunfighters, but that doesn't mean mm. everything has to be a gunfight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to say the good, bad and the ugly, and I really shouldn't have, again, in case any of my team from way back then, a decade, over a decade ago, were listening. But <laughs> it was it was a bit like that. You know, it was it was absolutely like the Magnificent Seven. Much better analogy. So that's fantastic. Thank you very much, Robert. So we've got to look at our strengths and weaknesses. And if one was to evaluate the, well, how am I going to make this segue? Uh, the strengths and weaknesses of their content, say like against an example of some great content marketing, where would they find that, Robert? <laughs> oh, they're not going to find it with me, that's for sure. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would they no, find? We you? have our we have our <laughs> we have our little uh, our little wall of content built over at contentadvisory.net, and would love to connect with everybody. Splendid! And when they spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking for you, where they're going to find you? Well, now that Elon's going to buy Twitter again, I've you know I've been uh, trying to bet back on Twitter, but um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, but uh, other than that, yes, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Easy to find. Splendid, splendid. And also, I'll include a link to that book you talked about, Strengths Based Leadership by Gallup. There it is. So also in the links. All right, thank you very much, Robert. And most importantly, and selfishly for me, will I see you in the bar next week? Well, of course, yes, absolutely. Splendid. Thank you very much, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. Marketing skills, a popular topic here on the podcast. So that's a wrap on episode 136 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff, Don and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So, does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be in the studio. I'll go backstage with Todd Irwin, owner of New York agency Phaser. I'm Robert. We'll be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.